Suicide is a tough topic, but the Washington County Reach for Hope Suicide Prevention Coalition wants you to know that there is always hope. We are a caring community reaching out to provide compassion and hope for a community free of suicide. In the next half hour, we'll talk with community partners to identify risk factors, raise awareness, and discuss prevention strategies. Hello and welcome uh, to another edition of Reach for Hope, where there's always hope. I'm Melissa Anderson. You know, we've talked about suicide rates amongst various age groups, but we've yet to talk about certain populations when it comes to race or ethnicity. And according to the CDC or Center for Disease Control in the United States, the suicide rate is up 33% since 1999. But for American Indian and Alaskan Natives, women and men, the increase is even greater than that, up to 139%. Now, this population has the highest rate of suicide of any uh, racial ethnic group in the United States. With me today to talk about why they might be struggling with this is licensed social worker Matt Lyons from Intermountain Healthcare. Thanks for joining us today. You've worked with this population in the past and continue to. Matt, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and, and what brought you to social work to begin with. Well, I, I think originally I was going to say I actually have a Native American aunt. And like a lot of other people, I was kind of looking into historical things. I kind of like history and things like that. And I had read some things about Native Americans, some of the atrocities that had been perpetrated against them. Um, Trail of Tears, uh, Bury My Heart at Wounded Knee, things like that. And again, with a Native American aunt, I just thought I, I went to school in sociology and psychology and I ended up going, had an opportunity to work for a tribe. And so I thought, well, this is a, this could be interesting. And it was. And so I, I worked for the tribe. I wrote uh, grants and I was a social services director. Um, I was, uh, then I moved on. I worked for the division of child and, um, uh, Family and Child Services for the state of Utah. I also worked for Alaska, the Office of Children's Services. And when I was working for the state of Utah, I was the ICWA representative, which is the Indian uh, welfare, child welfare uh, representative. So anytime there was a, anytime there was a court case or something like that, I would testify as an expert witness for either the state or a tribe. Yeah. So you've really been in depth with this and, and, and work with uh, natives here and also in Alaska. So you mm -hmm. really know a little bit about that. Um, according to the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, um, you know, Office of Minority Health in 2019, suicide was the second leading cause of death for American Indian Alaska natives between the ages of 10 and 34. Now here in Utah, we have, uh, it's the, was the number one for a while, just amongst our youth. But as a matter of fact, the native youth suicide rate is two to two and a half times higher. It's that, that much bigger. Um, why do you think that is? I think the, the single biggest factor to me, at least that I've seen, it's the self-esteem of the youth. Mm -hmm. I mean, um, the, the youth themselves are really interesting. I mean, when I say the self-esteem, when you get them, when you work with them really young, they're like, they're just like uh, sponges. They want to take in all this information. They're just, they just want to learn everything. But they get to a point where maybe education is not stressed as much. And because of the education, some of the struggles they, they run into, I think they lose a lot of, of whether it's motive, you know, whether it's motivation or 
again, I think the biggest thing is probably um, it's helplessness. I mean, they get or hopelessness. They get to a point where um, low self-esteem. They just don't have a lot of hope anymore. Yeah. And, and, and we're going to talk a little bit more about the culture and things in a minute. But do you think that a lot of this has to do with poverty and other socioeconomic problems that they have on reservations? Oh, definitely. I think when the, when the kids come off, there's very, very limited. Uh, if they do finish school, uh, quite a few of them will end up just, if they do finish school, like I said, if they'll finish high school, oftentimes they'll come back to the reservation. They stay on the reservation, very limited opportunities, work opportunities. So they're just kind of stuck there and they don't really go anywhere. Um, they get involved in alcoholism, substance abuse, gangs, there's a lot of different factors. That's what I was going to say. Some of the problems yeah. on the on the reservation is the fact that they are um, on native lands and they probably don't have a lot to do. Um, there's there's not a lot of businesses. There's not stores. There's there's you can't just go down to the local place and play ping pong or anything. And no. and sometimes there's not even a bicycle or a way for transportation. Um, that's got to be tough for a kid growing up in that you know environment and and maybe they're close to their neighbors and they can just go next door and hang out and play and stuff but um i'm sure you've saw you you've seen a lot of that mm -hmm. and i was going to say sometimes what happens is the tribal administration for whatever reason um i had an experience where we actually got a, a baseball field we we fixed a baseball field and got a actually formed a baseball team it was just absolutely amazing um uh, some of the communities would make skate parks or they'd make bicycle parks. They would try to, they would try to provide different outlets for the kids. Um, but still there wasn't a whole lot to do. I mean, the kids would go to the library, they'd go to shoot, you know, baskets at a, you know, at a community playground or whatever. And, you know, half the hoops don't have nets on them, you know? So, um, yeah, not a lot of opportunities. Yeah. So rural and poverty and, um, nothing to do. Uh, so what kind of cultural disconnect when we were talking a little bit earlier about that, um, or alienations or pressures that are attached to this, why do, why do, what do they have there? I mean, obviously they've, if they go back and they hear the history from their elders and stuff, I mean, white man hasn't been very good to them. No. And I'm sure they're still feeling that and they're still told their stories. And, and I mean, it's deep. We're talking culture. We're talking, you know, how did how how did you see that? No, it is it is actually really deep. I was going to say if you if you have an opportunity to work with the kids, it's just great because you've kind of got a, a clean slate. But if you're you know if you're a Native American youth or whatever, you're kind of taught you're kind of caught between two different cultures. You're trying to assimilate, you know, between the white culture and the Native culture, and so they're a little bit torn. They're a little bit torn between that. Um, they're not really sure what direction to go. You know. Um, I worked with I worked with several people would be uh, of mixed uh, ethnics uh, ethnic groups uh, white and Native American so they were in some respects they were suffering you know well do I you know which which do I which do I identify with so it was it was tough for the kids it was tough for the kids yeah. Um in your past experience, then, how difficult is it to get this population to come and share their feelings with you? Did they look up to you as a mentor? How did that experience go? 
it I again with the kids it was just great I mean I got along with the kids so well if there was one thing that was so, that was so frustrating to me is you would get these really really good relationships with these kids and whether it was on a baseball team or whatever like that just really good relationships or go out and shoot hoops with them or whatever and what used to happen that, that got so frustrating to me is I would have these really good relationships with these kids and then oftentimes they would go home and then their their parents or grandparents or whatever would basically tell them well be careful you know he's not he's not a member of the tribe and you can't you can't necessarily trust him. And so the next time I would see him, almost invariably, I would have to repair what what I had accomplished the day before as far as, you know, making friends with him or whatever. And it was really, that was really frustrating because it, it, it happened all the time. Well, I've seen that in relationships between parents that are divorced and the child goes exactly. from one house and comes back to the other and they have different sets of rules and there's a different way of life. And so you got to undo everything that the other parent did. You know, Ex- I mean, exactly. I've seen it in that situation. Exactly. And, and, and I wasn't really, you know, I wasn't in a position to be the, you know, they call him the Disneyland dad or whatever. But one of the things that I did do, at least I tried to do, um, just listen to him and just talk to him. And, and, and oftentimes you'd really, again, you'd really create these relationships that you didn't know how deep they were until later on. Um, and again, if I was just working with the kids, it worked really good. And I have a great deal of respect for the parents and things like that. But, um, the kids, if you can work with them early on, I think you can really leave a, you can leave a pretty positive mark. Yeah. Now you worked in, in, um, in Alaska as well. Was Mm -hmm. it the same situation up there as it was on reservations on the, you know, mainland? Pretty much so. I was going to say I I had the, an opportunity. I used to, I was actually based out of uh, Juneau, Alaska, but I used to fly to all up southeast Alaska. I was on a float plane, a float plane or a ferry constantly, and going to these very very remote villages. And there was a lot of similarities between, you know, the the reservations. I was going to say in the lower forty eight. Now, Alaska doesn't have all of the reservations. They've got a lot of different tribes, but they don't have reservations. But they're again very very isolated and so the same problems exist in alaska that they did up there um so it was pretty it was pretty similar and an experience and and we talked about their being tucked away or in very rural Mm -hmm. areas how difficult then is it for them to reach out and and find help i mean obviously you were there i don't know how often you went but as a social worker how often could you check in with them and i imagine the situations would be could be from one minute they might be good and the next time next visit they might be dire well interestingly enough when i worked for the state of alaska with office of children's services anytime i was called into remote village it i didn't just show up there you know haphazardly or whatever i wasn't just showing up there you know to do a, a spot check every time i would go into a remote village or whatever it was because someone from the community had called with a with a concern and so as soon as i would hit the dock or whatever there was, there was kind of a, a native uh, messenger service or whatever. It's like, hey, uh, the guy from the state is here. And so right from the start, they were they were defensive because they knew you were there to find something. And that was always that was always difficult. Like I said, I never went up there just just on a spur of the moment. Like, let's see how everyone's doing. So every time I went up, I was pretty much 
I was under the gun right from the start. Yeah, they were probably trying to thinking that you're coming to remove them from their homes, and you probably oh, did a few I did. times. Mm -hmm. I did all the time. Yeah. Yeah. I say all the time, but yeah, quite often. And they don't have many means of transportation either. I no. mean, so there's not any way that they can go out and, and come to you, and especially being that remote if you had to fly in. Um, you know, the overall death rate amongst this population is about 20%. Um, as compared to the non-Hispanic white population, uh, why are they more likely to have these feelings of sadness, hopelessness, as you mentioned earlier, and everything appears to be an effort for them to do? Uh, I think one of the biggest things, again, is, is whether it's very, very limited health care. I mean, a lot of the kids, when they were struggling with whether it was suicidal ideation or whatever, oftentimes they needed, they really needed someone to talk to. But they didn't really have anyone in the, when I say they, I wish they did, they could go to, um, unfortunately, uh, there's not a whole lot of um, role, there's not a whole lot of uh, people they can look up to. I mean, there's a lot of people have passed away very, very, you know, very, very young. Um, yeah. That's, that's, it's interesting, you know, um, also I've read where it's, it's been reported that nearly 84% of native women experience of violence in their lifetime. Uh, and according to a 2016 report, and this was from the national Institute of justice, more than a third of the women who have, have their on the reservations have been raped or have contemplated suicide. Now, I don't know if it was just reservations or if they did a poll amongst, even Native American women who were in regular situations, but why are they at such a high risk? Well, you know what's interesting, even to me about that statistic, I'm not so sure that that's, to me in my own experience, that might even be a little bit conservative. I mean, you could go into some communities and it wasn't a matter of whether or not a, a, uh, a female was going, was raped, she, she was, going to be almost it's like how do we prepare when that happens um and again i think a lot of it comes down to just so many things i think lean lean back to the poverty the hopelessness uh the you know they're so so remote they're so they're so isolated um and sexual assault is a big deal mm -hmm. um but sometimes it can be a, a way of life in certain cultures or ideologies and also, I know I've heard about Native American women disappearing. Mm -hmm. I mean, there was up in Montana and North mm -hmm. Dakota and different places, they just disappear and then they find them later and they've been deceased. I mean, we know that, that they're being kidnapped and things are happening to them. They're at really high risk. Yeah. I, I think sometimes too, in some of these real remote areas, whether you're working with the Bureau of Indian Affairs or whatever, if you go into some of these real remote places, they've got it, their um, um, their law enforcement up there, uh, VPSOs, village public safety village public safety officers. They as soon as you land, it's really interesting because again, I was talking about this native messenger service. Everyone knows you're there, but more often than not, in something like that, and it even happens down here. I was going to say in the lower 48, what happens when you start working oftentimes with the BIA? is they're oftentimes they're related and they definitely know everyone in the community. Mm -hmm. And so they would, they would tell me more often than not, again, it's like, well, I'll tell you where so-and-so is, but I'm not going to go with you. And so even if you were, if you were being abused one way or another, they kind of looked at that. I think some of the resident population thought, well, they're not going to do anything anyway. 
you know, I mean, the, the officer or whatever, and I'm not trying to cast a bad and not all of them, but I'm not trying to cast a bad shadow on all of the, on all of the officers, but quite often it's like, I don't want to go. I don't want to, I do not want to get involved because shoot, I go shoot pool with him every, you know, the perpetrator, whatever, every Saturday night or Mm -hmm. whatever. And I know the family or I'm related to the family. So yeah, it's, it's, it's tough getting anywhere. It is. Right. Another statistic, um, according to the substance abuse and mental health services administration, Mm -hmm. I'm sure you're familiar with that. SAMHSA states that natives experience PTSD more than twice as often as the general population. Now, is that surprising to you? No. Again, because if you're in a really close-knit community, very few of these communities haven't been touched one way or another with, with uh, whether it's suicide of someone young. Almost every one of them is familiar, has a family member or, you know, an extended family member, whatever, that has experienced suicide or, or you know, some sort of abuse, whether it's domestic abuse, uh, sexual abuse, almost every single one of them. You talked about substance abuse earlier, and mm-hmm. that's what I want to hit on. I know that a lot of natives um, just are, are involved in drugs and alcohol, mm-hmm. and alcohol is the biggest one. Um, and their bodies probably don't handle it as well as maybe other people do. I've heard that before. I don't know if it's true or not, but it, it's a real issue on, on, on most cases. I mean, the kids are, go get, a, go get me a beer, mm-hmm. um, and they live on that alcohol uh, life. Um, how do, how, how, what did you experience with that? I experienced one of, one of the really interesting things I did here from, it was actually, a um, Alaska state trooper. One time we were investigating a domestic violence, uh, some allegations. And, and anyway, he told me, he said, I have never, I have never been involved in a domestic violence situation where alcohol was not involved. So it was, it was like, a, it was a given. If, mm-hmm. if, if something was going to happen, there was going to be alcohol involved. So every time I would go and do an investigation of some sort, it would pretty, I pretty much validate the fact what I was told. You're going to run into, there's an alcohol, there's a, there's an alcohol component in there somewhere. And is there help, help for them for that? Uh, again, you know, it kind of comes down to whether it's mental health or it's uh, getting, there's not a whole lot of AA programs or whatever in some of these, in some of these uh really remote villages. Mm-hmm. And even if there is, I was going to say uh, any of the services, there's a lot of fragmented services, whether it's for alcohol abuse or whatever, it, it, they're, they're just not in a the community. There's not right. a lot there. So given all of this, I mean, it sounds pretty negative and I'd really like to get the, the light at the end of the tunnel here. How do we empower change to get that help in there and create hope and and become mentors like you did at, at, in on the baseball field, so to speak, with these native youth than maybe tribal teachers or, or uh, the communities there? I, I think the, the best thing, and it, it's, it's hard, again, as soon as you come in, you know, you're an outsider. So right from the start, you're a little bit behind the eight ball because they don't trust you right from the start. Mm-hmm. And again, kind of with the kids, it's a, little, it's a little easier. With the parents, it's a little tougher. And even the grandparents, it's a little tougher. Um, but you just, you stay consistent. You know, and you just, you're always the same person. Um, what you try to do, I, at least to me, is you try to work with the tribal community. You try to work with the tribal leaders. You don't do anything. You don't do any end runs around them. You know, you respect their culture. You do everything you can with them. 
And again, I think, but probably the single most important thing to me is just education. If you can stress to these kids the education, because again, the kids were just sponges. They wanted to learn. They wanted to learn so much. And, you know, I used to have native youth and they used to come into my office and I'd have different magazines and they would just pour through those just, mm -hmm. and it was so, you know, you, you could almost see the light at the end of the tunnel. If we can keep this, if we can keep this liar, if we can keep this fire lit, then there, there is a, there is a light at the end of the tunnel. So I want to just ask you then, are you working with native youth now here in this area? And, and, and is there a difference here? I do work with the native American youth here. Um, when I was working for Alaska, uh, primarily it was with, with Alaska native youth mm -hmm. down here. I work in six different clinics. I work in three in St. George. I work at one in hurricane and then I work in one in, um, Cedar city and then one in Parowan. And so I, I do work with native American youth here and I get different referrals from different doctors and things like that. So I'm still, I'm still very involved with the native American youth. And we have the Paiute tribe here, mm -hmm. and, and I'm not sure of any others around our area, but have you seen any difference between that and what you've worked with in the past, or are we still seeing this, this, the same situations? I, I think you're still seeing the same situation. When I say I think you're still seeing the same situations, PITU, which is Paiute Indian Tribes of Utah, they've got some programs that I think are, are very, very helpful to, to Native Americans. Um, you do have the Navajo tribe, you know, in Arizona. They're the biggest ones here close. But, again, PITU is actually a really good resource um, that you can reach out to and different tribes can reach out to. Yeah, I was going to say, where do we point people to to get this help? Because, obviously, if you're in that desperation and that, that hopelessness feeling, they might not feel like reaching out to 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 white men. I'm sorry. They, no, they, they don't. And that's one of the reasons, you know, when I, anytime I'm, I'm working with the native American youth, I will lean them towards that because a lot of their, a lot of their interventions are actually geared around the cultures and traditions. You can't just throw a template at a, at a native American youth, whether it's suicidal idea, ideation, whether it's alcoholism, drug use or whatever, it's gotta be pretty much tailored to that particular even that particular tribe, you know, that culture, be, and there's a lot of similarities, but there's a lot of differences. So if you can tailor something specifically to them, I think it would be a lot more effective. Yeah, and speaking of that, on a national level, um, uh, they have what's called the, the uh, I read that the National Council on Urban Indian Health and the Action Alliance American Indian Alaskan Native Task Force put together a resolution creating a Hope for a Life Day. Mm -hmm. And I, it's September 10th, mm -hmm. which is set aside during Suicide Prevention mm -hmm. Week. I didn't know about this until I started mm -hmm. researching into it. Have you ever heard of this? And, and do they recognize this in their own culture as helping them? I, you know, it's interesting because when you, I only became familiar with it after the fact too. And then I started looking into it. I think anytime you can, again, anytime, anytime you can tailor something specifically to the native American youth, it's great. I mean, um, for instance, the Kayabab has, you know, they have their powwows and the different tribes in, in Alaska have their get togethers and stuff like that. But anytime you can tailor something specifically like this suicide prevention for native Americans, I think mm -hmm. it's, I think it's great. Um, if you can reach one, just one, that's okay. That's a win. 
And um, so what can we do right now to reach out to them? Or, or does it have to come from within? How do we get through that potential barrier? I think most of it has to come from within. Again, it's kind of a self-worth. It's something uh, I think, again, I stress the education side really, really I tout that a great deal because I've seen, I've seen some people with exactly the same opportunities that have gone to the same schools um, and they have thrived and their entire families have thrived. But the difference is when I say, if I, if I look for a difference, the family is very involved and the family really, really stresses education. And I don't always see that. Again, a lot of these kids are slipping through the cracks. If they don't want to go to school, they don't go to school. The ones that are surviving or the ones that are thriving, I should say, that are thriving, have a great deal of support at home. And especially from the parents, just really, really tout the education side. So we need to educate the parents on on these in these situations and get them to to reach out and to to help <laughs> i think so and if you can get that to the and again if you can get that to the elders but again i think one of the problems you have with um it's yeah. just gaining their trust yeah well it's i'd like to them. thank you for your all of your help today and and your insight and and appreciate your work in this field and i know it's not an easy job so no. thanks thanks for but you're welcome out. thank you and uh, we thank you for watching, and we hope that you reach out and help someone. Thanks. The Reach for Hope Coalition wants you to know that we care about you, and we are here to help. If you or someone you know is thinking about suicide, reach out. You're not alone. To access resources for yourself or others, visit our webpage at reachforhopeutah.org. That's reach, the number four, hopeutah.org. If you are experiencing a crisis, please call the Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-TALK because you matter and there is always hope. This has been a production from A Podcast Studio.